How's everybody doing? Have you grumbled enough yet today? I mean, that word is so clear. Um, as Laura shared with us this morning as we were rehearsing that word from James, um, James chapter 5, uh, in its context, um, the interesting piece is that in order for us to be the body, to function as the body, we, we need to not be distracted or deterred by this comparative strength that we have. We always like to compare ourselves to one another. We always like to say, it's not fair. It's, you know, I worked harder. You know, I worked longer. I was better. Since each of you are part of God's family Never complain or grumble about each other so that judgment will not come on you. For the true drudge is near and very ready to appear. And he goes on to say, my brothers and sisters, take the prophets as your mentors. They have prophesied in the name of the Lord and brought them, it's brought them great suffering. Yet they patiently endured. They honored, we honor them as our heroes because they remained faithful even while enduring great suffering. And you've heard all, uh, heard of all that Job went through, um, though we can now see that the Lord ultimately treated him with wonderful kindness, revealing how tender-hearted he really is. We hear that story through the scriptures today because we get to the story of Jonah, and Jonah we've already known, and we heard last week, um, from Father John about, you know, what it is that we're called to do when it is to forgive. But we have this question in our mind that starts with the two-year-old, why? <laughs> why? Why? Because we haven't been satisfied ourselves when the outcome is different than we, we expect. We stood, Kristen and I stood as we listened to our tour guide in Jerusalem, and um, boy, uh, if, if none of these scriptures are, are uh, precursors to this trip, um, you just, it just keeps coming alive for me, and I pray that you all would consider uh, coming to Jerusalem next year. It's going to be phenomenal. More to come, pictures and all. Um, so Jonah's in this place, and we stood there in Joppa and listened to Kira tell us about this juxtaposition of this angry Israelite prophet. And he stood there, and he's like, but didn't I tell you, God? I told you so. You're going to relent. They're going to be forgiven. And there's still a bunch of pagans. Don't you hear yourself saying those same things when we, when we judge people who we think um, for whatever habit or hurt or hang up or past sin or even just our own perspective, we don't understand what they've been through. Uh, I've had the grac gracious uh, blessing of being a pastor to many of you in such a way that I know your backstories and when I hear them and then I hear testimony like Bridget's this morning, that, that talks about the layers of healing that happened on a weekend. Uh, it's remarkable. And she can tell you for herself firsthand the very gruesome things that God just really has been 
blessing her to heal. Life is not fair. In case you want to take notes, write it down. Life is not fair. And Jonah, as the prophet of God, is asking to do something that's not fair. We, are, we hear of all of the prophets of that age who are going in and they're being told before they enter a country. Think about Jeremiah. He was told that he would be so oppressed that he would be the only one standing with God. Everyone else would be against him. So here's Jonah in this day, and he's upset. He's already been, think, I, when I was a kid, we used to go to the Jersey Shore, and not the television show. Um, <laughs> we'd go to uh, Long Beach Island, and uh, my grandparents would rent a house, and two generations, two families would come and pile in, and it was a blast. But I would love being on the beach, and I'd be there for so long, and in the water for so long, that I'd look down, and I'd look at my mother, and I'd say, brains. Because as you looked at your fingers, they were so wrinkled up and shrivelly, they looked like brains, you know, because they were pasty white and all crinkled up because they'd been in water for hours and hours. Think of God's prophet being spit up on the shore after being in stomach bile in a whale. God's safety plan was not anything pretty, but here he is. He's now to present himself, and I'm sure he cleaned up, but he's now to present himself to a people who are oppositional to him, and he gives to them probably one of the shortest sermons of all time. Five words in the Hebrew, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overturned. That's from Jonah chapter 3 verse 4. That's the word that he gave them. And he gave it with such joy. It was, it was his chance to give the message. God, the ultimate smiter, will smite you in 40 days and you can't do anything about it. Well, he didn't really give the commentary, but that's what he was thinking. He was so happy to see the downfall of people who he felt deserved it because the life that they lived was not, not only dishonoring God, but it was tearing down his culture. The Israelites were being uh, affected in such a way that they were worshiping false gods. They were following false uh, deliverers. We, we stood in Caesarea Philippi, and you could see what they celebrated in Greek culture as the gates of hell. And it's just a cave. And then there's niches going up the mountainside. And it's, it, they're just niches. But they were to various gods going up the way. And Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? I've heard that scripture so many times. But when you're standing there and you're looking at the place that those very gods were being worshipped, and you think, Jesus was showing them the comparison. Do you want to worship two-dimensional items that can't speak back to you, that don't have power or wisdom, so that you might get some sort of blessing that you've managed to manipulate by giving sacrifice of your firstborn son or your own children or by, you know, uh, bloodletting some animal, not for the sake of um, righteous worship of God, but for the sake of taking what's yours so that you might be 
getting what you're entitled to. Those aren't the gods that Jesus was. Jesus says, I'm the God of the universe. Who do you say that I am? So Jonah's here in Joppa as a port city. Uh, I'm sure it had its mess of what port cities have. And he was really displeased. I mean, this this is almost ironic, the things that are being said here, because you can't really get the tone of it. But he's seething, and he prays to the Lord, is it not what I said to you? And, and it, I was yet in my country. I didn't have to leave here to find this out before I were to, to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I still don't get you, Lord. Why do you love the unlovely? Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's so kind to us. There's no, no place, no distance, no sin that could take you so far away from God. I hope this is an encouragement to you because I know that you're all spit polished and perfect sitting here this morning. So you don't have any worries, right? We all bring our sin to the table and we ask the Lord uh, week after week after week. And he loves us so much that he's willing to cleanse us if if we're really repentant there are consequences for sin and jonah might be asking himself is this the consequence of my sin is this you know uh is this something that's happening to me because i've i haven't lived right Lord, lord haven't i been faithful to you yes jonah you've been faithful but you haven't been obedient. You know, we learned a lesson when we were raising our kids that, um, that we'd say to them, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Uh, and that's a hard pill to swallow. So Jonah went on to say, you know, I understand that you're abounding in steadfast love, so now, Lord, please take my life. <laughs> what? I'm done. Like, you don't need me. You're going to be gracious anyway. And the Lord said, how's that working for you? Do you do well to be angry that I was gracious? Shouldn't you be celebrating that those who are lost are now found? Those who are blind now see. Those who are lame now walk. Can you hear the New Testament singing through this? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and, uh, and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under the shade. Um, we were in a time where um, our tour guide said, Kira said that we are, were experiencing that same east wind. It comes about 52 days during the year in Israel, and we were experiencing a week's worth of it when we were there. And that east wind was um, strong enough and hot enough to wilt the greatest of sweaters. <laughs> 110 degrees two of the days that we were there, and uh, that was in the shade. But thankfully, we had that east breeze that kept us alive, and here's Jonah grumbling and complaining and seething outside of the city that God uh, had allowed this to happen 
for the Ninevites to be blessed. And he sat under this tree and sulked. And the next day he came up, he woke up and a worm had eaten the tree. And now he's really ripping mad. And he asked that he might die. It is far better for me to die than to live. Even this plant can't give me shade. And God says to Jonah, how's that working for you? How's complaining working for you? How's judging others working for you? How is self-entitlement and being proud of the word that you've brought to carry to a people and I have relented and brought them salvation and faith instead? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Yes, I do do well, Jonah says back. To be angry enough, angry enough to die. And she, the Lord says, now, you know who I am and that I relent and have mercy. Here's my answer to you. You pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. You may not have seen a plant that blooms in the night or opens in the night. My friends down in Savannah when we lived there uh, happened to have a, a plant called a night-blooming cirrus. Uh, they're absolutely gorgeous, and they only open once a year, and they typically open on the same night every year. And lo and behold, their night-blooming cirrus opened on the 9th of July, which happened to be Kristen and my anniversary. So the years that we were in Savannah, we would go out to dinner or do whatever we did for an anniversary, and we'd stop by Pam and Barrett's house because we wanted to see our anniversary plant bloom. It wasn't eaten by worms. It didn't, you know, didn't stop uh, its, its growth, but it withered after it bloomed. And so God's amazing uh, creation uh, allowed for this plant to be there in fullness, big, leafy fullness that offered him shade. But the next day, the Lord is saying, you didn't make the plant grow. And when it came to it perishing overnight, you're going to complain? Should I not have pity on Nineveh, he said? Uh, that great city, which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also as much cattle. Now, why mention cattle in the midst of this? Uh, you know, as if the people don't matter more than the cattle. But what he's saying is there are rich resources that are a part of God's plan and God's kingdom. And you're missing out on the fact that I am sovereign. I am Lord. It's easy to miss the irony of the comedic intent between this exchange between God and um, Jonah. Typically, the prophets are fiercely obedient to the law and their uh, audiences are stubborn and recalcitrant. Uh, and here... Um, not like Jeremiah, there is a turning that comes from a five-word sermon. So despite the, the humorous part of this uh, and the irony of this, uh, we, we start to hear and get angry with Jonah almost uh, for him feeling this way. Um, but you've got to understand who the Ninevites were. The Assyrians killed everyone in their path. 
They, they destroyed the northern kingdom uh, and they subjugated anybody who was left in the southern kingdom by oppressing them with taxes. They destroyed the city of Judah and Lachish and otherwise wreaked havoc ac across the whole Near East. If it weren't enough, the Assyrians kings proudly boasted about and displayed their violent conquests in scenes that we still have today, where the kings of, of Nineveh, kings of, of that Assyrian kings were gathered together and behind them are their subjects filleting the Hebrew people, literally in scenes. Jonah wasn't alone with his anger to, toward Nineveh um, and its conquerors. He purposefully um, spoke out against the Assyrians, and Nineveh, it would seem, is not the only one that needed repentance in order to win back the way where Jonah, God, gave us the scenario that we know in the earlier chapters. He took the reluctant prophet, uh, had, had him tossed in the water, swallowed up, spit out, and said, go and preach the word I told you to preach. So after preaching this message, uh, Jonah left Nineveh and perched himself in that place where he was deeply grieved by the fact that God wouldn't show mercy, but he was not merciful himself. He hadn't repented. He hadn't changed his heart. You see, God's dealing of salvation is equal to everyone, not just those who come early and those who are most obedient. God's giving of Christ, his only son, to cover our sins is equal across the board. It is not for us to look to our left or to our right to discern whether or not this person is righteous enough to receive God's mercy. God's mercy is God's mercy for all those who need to receive mercy. Can I see a hand, please? <laughs> we all need to receive his mercy. So as we hear the gospel written today, Jesus is with his disciples, and he tells the story of a vineyard. What a beautiful picture. We saw some while we were there. We're going to have a special trip to a vineyard while we're in Israel next year. Uh, asked our guide to do so for us. A vineyard and a, a, an olive press we're going to get to go see. And talks about the different times during the day that needed laborers in order to get the labor done. I don't know if you've ever worked on a farm, but sometimes if you don't get the hay up or you don't get the crop up before the rainy season comes, you can lose a significant amount of your crop. And so it doesn't matter what time, day or night, you're grateful when there are hands to get the job done. And yet here the message is, it doesn't matter what time of day the person comes or what measure of work they do, God the owner of the vineyard is the one who is sovereign enough to choose how to spend his money. You agreed to a denarius, you get a denarius. The guy who showed up for the last hour agreed to a denarius, he gets a denarius. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, it doesn't, it's, there's no fairness that is spoken of. In this word, uh, he replies to one of them, friend, I am... Uh, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. 
I am, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? The word has been said several times today. Um, and I think the human heart has uh, uh, the ability to curse itself because we compare ourselves to everything around us. You are a child of the Most High. God is crazy about you. He made you the way you are for a purpose. And if you spend your time pursuing that purpose and not worrying about what anybody else says or thinks about you or whether or not you're worthy of the work that you've done or you've done more work than anybody else, you have a whole lot more time to be following him, to be pursuing his heart. In the end, you'll be fulfilling that phrase that would say, it's time to have an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> if we live a life that is grateful, we don't have time to look and compare. I remember two brothers and two sisters grew up in a family of five, and it was always comparison. Well, that's Frank's little brother. That's Jean's little brother. That's Margaret's little brother. That's Bob's little brother. And I lived in the shadow of four siblings as the last of five, and I went, oh, no, no, <laughs> I will prove to you that I am Dan Morgan. And I got stubborn about that. And I had many times where the Lord had sort of grabbed me by the nose. You know, it's really good with two fingers. He can pull me right in and say, how's that working for you? You're outside the city seething about the fact that you're being compared to your siblings be grateful and do what you do best. The word today is very clear. We've got no time for jealousy. We've got no time for comparison. We've got no time to say it's unfair that this person gets something greater than this person. We have a responsibility to not delay in our obedience to the Lord. If you don't hear from the Lord, you don't know what his voice sounds like, spend more time listening to him. The word was said very clearly through the testimonies, through his word this morning. More time in his word and following what he commands saves a whole lot of time because you don't want to send, send yourself on a ship across the sea, be swallowed by a whale and spit out. And you might say, oh, come on, Dan, I really, you know, that was a metaphor. It may, may not have happened. You know, I don't care if you believe it or not. The fact of the matter is every single one of us can parallel that story with a time where we've wasted a lot of time. We've been swallowed up by an economy. We've been swallowed up by an attitude. We've been swallowed up by our best friend. We've been swallowed up by our spouse. We've been swallowed up by our boss or our coworker, And we didn't get it right the first time. And we get spit out on the shore and we're sitting there seething that we have to do God's will. And we still are seething. And the Lord says, don't you get it? <laughs> the grace that I've given you in your life and the call that I've given you to carry out is so that, that these people might receive my grace and mercy the same way that you did. We are facing a year, as you know. And 
I will do my best, my level best, not to talk about it too much, uh, because it's, I don't believe it belongs in the pulpit except for me to say, listen to God and follow his commands. But we'll face another political season coming up. And we have lots of things to say in judgment about each other. We have lots of rhetoric to speak and to be vigilant about and hold our fist in the air and say, why was this happening? It's not fair. He has told you, as Micah 6.8 says, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's all we need. We don't need to be in a place where we grumble about the unrighteous getting mercy. We don't need to worry about fairness or equality. We don't have any entitlements. We don't deserve uh, justice. We spend lots of our time in our days worried about rightness when we should worry more about righteousness. The nature of favor and blessing. All of us have experienced God fa God's favor and blessing is this. We shouldn't get used to anything by expectation, but by waiting on the Lord and gratefully doing his will. If we want to experience the favor and blessing of God in goodness and abundance or suffering and squalor, his blessing and favor are the same. He wants to show that when we're obedient to him, his grace abounds for everyone. That's not the, world, the way the world operates, is it? We're constantly being compared. It's, it's king of the hill. It's every notch gets you a little bit higher. More money, more money, more money. But what God wants you to know is you have all of the resources of his kingdom to carry out what he's called you to do. Don't be distracted by all of those com false comparisons so that you might live out the freedom and joy that he's given you to live. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've called us to faithfulness just the same way you've called Jonah, just the same way you have uh, illustrated it to the disciples. And I pray, Father, that you would show us how to walk in faithfulness that we would remove from ourselves all comparison or grumbling, that we would remove from ourselves a, a, an entitlement of fairness so that we, we might recognize that every day is a gift from you and we are grateful to walk in the light of your countenance. Be present with us, Lord. Guide and direct us. Help us to see where our human heart fails us and in doing so, help us to learn. I am so grateful for failing, Lord, failing hard in your presence because you have always taught me from those moments so that I might walk in your righteousness and not try to walk in my own. Help us, Lord. Help us to reach out to those who are the least and the lost, those who we might deem to be helpless so that they might know the grace and favor the salvation and blessing that comes through Jesus Christ alone. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.